Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Apart from my novel, Talk, I don't think there's any book out there that I have invoked, made reference to as many times as iGen, which is the work of Dr. Gene Twangy, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, the author of more than 180 scientific publications and several books based on her research into generational change. She has a brand new book out. It's called Generations, The Real Differences Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and What They Mean for America's Future. Welcome back, Dr. Twang. It's nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, I think my audience pretty much knows the history, but let's run through it for new listeners. It's back in 2017 that you, with three full decades of experience looking at generational trends and differences, uh, saw something that you thought was rather alarming. What was it? All of a sudden, in the data from about 2012 or so, Teens started to say they felt left out. They started to say more often that they felt lonely. They felt like they couldn't do anything right or that they weren't enjoying life. And those are classic symptoms of depression. And, you know, one year of data, you might be a blip, but it kept 
going. And then it started showing up in clinical level depression, in self-harm. So just across the board, there was this very sudden deterioration of mental health among teens. You both wrote an Atlantic article and the book iGen. The Atlantic piece was under the headline, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? You were drawing attention to the fact that 2012 was a critical year. Why? So the end of 2012 is the first time that the majority of Americans owned a smartphone. It was also somewhat of a turning point for social media. It's when Facebook bought Instagram. It's also around the time that social media use moved from optional to almost mandatory among teens. You know, it used to be about half of teens would use social media every day. And then by 2012, it was more like three out of four. And then in a high school environment, that means you're left out if you don't use it. And then if you do use it, then you have all of the pressures of social media. You were very careful when iGen was published to always couch your analysis in terms of correlation, not causation. Is that fair? At the time, yeah, from the data that we had, um, we could say this happened at the same time. We could say among individuals, the longer a teen spends on social media, the more likely it is he or she will be depressed. But at the time, there was only a little bit of experimental data, which is what you need to show causation. In the brand new book, Generations, I'm reading from it, something clearly went wrong in the lives of teens around 2012 and among young adults soon thereafter. The question is, what was it? and then a paragraph or two ahead, reflecting on iGen and the Atlantic piece, you say, in the years since, no other plausible culprit has emerged. The case for technology, especially social media, causing the rise in mental health issues among young people relies on four primary pieces of evidence. Timing, impact on day-to-day life, group-level effects, and the impact on girls. Only a small amount of this evidence was available when I was writing iGen in the mid-2010s. The rest has emerged since then. Talk to us about how you track this information and do so sometimes with Jonathan Haidt. Yeah, so John and I have a couple of um, open-source literature reviews bringing all this research together. So one um, crucial element there is can you show that social media use leads to depression rather than depression leading to social media use. I've always been pretty confident when you look at those generational trends in mental health that it was the technology leading to depression because otherwise you'd have to say, oh, kids became depressed for some completely unknown reason and that's why they bought smartphones and spent time on social media. And that never made a whole lot of sense. But it is important to look at individuals too, you know. Is it what's going on, you know, if you are worried about your children? You know, is it going to help to say, no, you shouldn't be on social media? And there are several experiments now, a growing number, in fact, showing that there is some causation there. So some of those, for example, ask people to cut back on their social media use. And then it turns out, especially if you trace them over the course of weeks, that they're happier than those who continue their regular social media use. On the issue that you're addressing now in the book, you say, of course, it's possible that depressed teens use social media more rather than social media use causing depression. It's probably some of both. But several experiments have shown that the causal arrow can move from social media to depression and that there are benefits to using social media less. 
In other words, you've you've studied the science, you've studied the data on this issue, and you don't think it's a function of those who are depressed or anxiety ridden are of the type that naturally gravitate towards social media. Therefore, it can be explained that way. That's that may be part of it, but it's very clear that it's that's not all of it. You can't write off the correlations with that explanation, given the experimental evidence that we have. How does the work of Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, factor into your thinking? Yeah, so, I mean, that's another piece of evidence that came out. It turns out, you know, Facebook had these internal studies showing that, especially teen girls and young women, were experiencing body image issues from using Instagram. And they they looked into this in depth, uh, many different, using many different methods, and they found really consistently, as one, as one example, that when they asked teens, you know, why do you think depression has gone up in your age group? They said that their, the unprompted and consistent response was social media. So contrary to the idea that teens are saying, oh, no, 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 it's not the phones, it's not social media. One of the largest social media companies in the country found that in their own research that that's what teens said. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive 
then takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. Reading again from your book, most tragic of all, the suicide rate for young people skyrocketed after 2007, exceeding the previous highs of the early 1990s. The teen suicide rate nearly doubled between 2007 and 2019, and the suicide rate for those in their early 20s jumped 41%. Similar to the trends in depression, suicide was rising well before the pandemic. And then this, which I starred. Perhaps even more shocking, the suicide rate of 10 to 14-year-olds, most of whom are elementary and middle school students, tripled overall and nearly quadrupled for girls. Why the gender difference? I mean, it's alarming for everybody, but why in particular is this affecting our girls? Yeah, it's a gender difference. It's also an age difference that when we're seeing the worst trends is among younger girls. So... It's probably affecting girls more because girls use social media more. Social media is more strongly linked to depression among girls than it is among boys, just probably because a lot of the pressures around appearance and body image. And then we also see those strongest links among the youngest teens. And I think it's not a coincidence. It's also where we're seeing the biggest increases in suicide and self-harm and depression. So, and this is also a counter- I don't hear this explanation much anymore, but people say, well, maybe it's the economy. Much less likely for it to be the economy when we're talking about 10 to 14-year-olds. I'm looking now at some of the... But by the way, I'm focused on the Gen Z, and I'm loyal to you. I say I, Jen, but I'll go with Gen Z just for people knowing exactly what I'm referencing to. I'm focused on that chapter of the book, but I've read the whole book, and, and you lay out by chapter silence, boomers, Gen X, millennials, and pollers. With regard to Gen Z, we're talking about those individuals born between 1995 and 2012, and you say as high school students they are less likely to drink alcohol, have jobs, have sex, or get driver's licenses than previous generations. What they're not doing, Dr. Twangy, I'm going to use Bill Maher's word, they're not mingling, right? I mean, they're, they're in bedrooms paying too much time to social media, living a cycle of sleep, school, social media, instead of having real interactions. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the biggest problems because when sometimes when I'm challenged on this idea that, it, that it's social media, they're saying, well, you know, can that really have such a big effect? Well, because it has these downstream consequences, 
because at that same time, the kids started spending all of that time online. They also started spending less time sleeping. That's really crucial for mental health. And it completely changed the way they socialized, that the norm for socializing among teens became social media and online communication rather than the way it's always been for so long of actually being in the same room with each other, of mingling, of just going out with your friends, spending time with your friends, even if that that is at home, just being with them. And that's much better for mental health than scrolling through Instagram. When they then finally have relationships or uh, encounters with members of the opposite sex or members of the same sex, for that matter, because they've been so much online, do they have a, I'm stumbling for the way to ask this, do they think that porn is the real world? Yeah, so there's, there's been certainly speculation on that, that, you know, porn is much more accessible. It's accessible to um, kids at much younger ages. And the concern is that that is having an impact on their real world romantic and sexual relationships. And it appears to be the case. Um so both teens and probably even a bigger headline, young adults are now less likely to have sex than they were a few generations ago. And for teens, most people applaud that. But when you're talking about people in their 20s and sometimes even all the way into their late 20s, you still see the decline, then that might be a little bit more concerning and more of a sign of not just putting off those relationships, but possibly not having them at all, because that's the other thing that really showed up when I was looking at these surveys recently. Big decline for the younger generation and those who say they want to get married, say they want to have a romantic partner, say that they want to have children. So family life and marriage is probably going to fundamentally change for this generation. Dr. Twangy, when I read the 90 or so page complaint that was filed against big tech by the Seattle public schools, I was not surprised to see your data cited in the footnotes. There's that litigation. There's the county in which, coincidentally, I was born and raised, became the first county in the country to file a lawsuit against big tech, again, based on the elements of the conversation you and I are having and your brand new book, Generations. You have Utah imposing a requirement about social media access being the first state in the country. And just last week, a group of bipartisan United States senators introduce legislation that would establish 13 as the the access age for social media in similar fashion to establishing an age for driving a car or drinking or serving in the military or voting is is some combination of this going to be enough well we're getting there uh, and social media is so unregulated and 13 was already supposed to be the age and it just isn't enforced so it's Interesting, they're introducing a, a new bill about that. But they, they came up with that age in 1998, before the modern Internet, before social media was really a force. And they didn't use any you know, developmental criteria to come up with 13. In my view, it would be much better to raise that age to 16. You know, let's get social media out of middle schools. Um, it's Middle school is hard enough already. And you think about it, is there really a hugely compelling reason for, for those kids, you know, 15 and under to be on social media, it's really tough to think of one. There's safer ways for kids to communicate. They can do group text. They can still look at websites if they want to gather information. It doesn't have to be social media. What else can be done? I think that's the most important thing. 
Um, and if the other the other piece of it, okay, let's say we keep it at 13, then at the moment you don't need parental permission to get a social media account. So a 13-year-old can go sign up for multiple accounts on social media sites without their parents' knowledge. And this can cause all kinds of problems. So limiting the number of accounts, requiring parental permission, these are all really straightforward, common-sense solutions. One final subject. Uh, by the way, this is Dr. Gene Twangy. The book is called Generations, The Real Differences Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and What They Mean for America's Future. She has spent 30-plus years studying generational differences among Americans. Uh Pertaining to Gen Z, you also have discussion and data in the book about how the number of high school students identifying as lesbian, gay, or bisexual nearly doubled between 2015 and 2021. It also relates to so many different conversations we're having, not only about the LGBTQ uh, community, but stressing the, the trans community as well. I guess I'm asking for the short version of whether... You think there's always been the same percentage of folks among us who would so identify if only they felt welcome or has something changed in that regard? Was the number of individuals 50 years ago who were gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender the same as it is today? And we don't know. I mean, that's one of the I think, really interesting questions we have to answer, because we know that there's been a change. What's interesting is almost all of the change is among younger adults. So among older adults, we just don't see as much change in identifying as transgender or um, identifying um, as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. So that suggests there's some, perhaps, either what, whether that is acceptance or some other trend that is... Um, mostly impacting young adults. And I think that's a puzzle to be solved because we don't exactly know what all of those forces are. Final thought. From the sidelines, it looks like when you first published on this subject, iGen and the Atlantic piece, there was a lot of skepticism, a lot of challenging. But in the last six or so years, it seems like the community, the scientific community, has really come around to your way of thinking. Is that a fair statement? I think there's been a shift in that direction, and um, I think it's just as more and more researchers started to dig into this topic, they recognized that there that there was a link here. Um, and I, I think, too, it really was also not just looking at that link between individuals, but recognizing that huge generational shift that, you know, teen depression, for example, doubled between 2011 and and 2019, even before the pandemic, that we have to figure out what's causing that. I mean, something's wrong. ABC published that story, and I asked you about it on on CNN, I think, this weekend, where we were already alarmed because the number of teen girls who had made a suicidal plan was like 24, 25 percent. Now it's 30 percent. It's nearly a third of the girls in this country, the adolescent uh, females. Yeah, that, that's the CDC data. And, you know, there was a lot of attention paid to that. And the sad fact is that was just the latest survey or study to show that an, an enormous uh, increase in those those extremely distressing numbers. Um, I mean, this, this is a, a crisis. And fortunately, I think that attention that it deserves is perhaps maybe finally there. 
Um, what is frustrating is it should have been there six years ago, yeah. and, it, and it often wasn't. It was often dismissed. So that, that was the part that was frustrating. You know, uh, I promise I'll let you go after this. I talk a lot of politics. I keep waiting for a presidential candidate to own this. I think that it would st- – I know anytime I talk about you, anytime I interview you, I strike such a chord with so many across the country. I'll take phone calls in a moment, and I know I'm going to hear from all pockets of the United States of parents who are really worried about this. But I don't hear – I just don't hear people at the, that level discussing it and wanting to take it on and address it. And if they would, it would be to all of our benefit. And I don't care if they're a Republican, de- Democrat, Independent. It matters not to me. And that, that's the interesting thing. This is one of the few areas where there has been bipartisan action and bipartisan support. It's come from both sides of the aisle. But the tech companies have very powerful lobbyists yep. and really high-paid lawyers. Dr. Twangy, continued good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Gene Twangy. The book is called Generations. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.